When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Everybody and welcome to the Tip of the Iceberg podcast brought to you as always by InsideThePenguins.com, a proud affiliate of the Hockey News. I'm your host, Nick Berlansky, joined as always by Nick Horwat and the Pittsburgh Penguins. Horwat, they're rolling with their longest win streak of the season, tied for it at two games. We'll see if they can extend that and make it the longest win streak of this young season and get back to an even 6-6 six and six later tonight. Against the LA Kings, you'll have your coffee ready. I'll be ready to stand during intermissions for a 10.30 start time tonight. Pens versus the Kings. And you know what's one thing that we're going to see in that game is whether or not Eric Carlson can extend his season-long three-game point streak as he looks to continue to heat up in his first month and a half, two months as a member of the Pittsburgh Penguins. We're going to talk about that here in just a minute. But also in this show, we're going to update Tristan Jari's status, why the Penguins might not be out of the woods with him being declared day-to-day. And then we're talking a little bit about P.O. Joseph, the curious case of P.O. Joseph as he gets into a game on Saturday, then scratched again on Tuesday after a not-so-great performance against the San Jose Sharks for him. But let's start it all off with the former San Jose Shark and Eric Carlson. Now 11 games into his Penguins tenure, but it's starting to look like he's heating up. Like I mentioned, he's on a three-game point streak. He has five points in those three games, one goal, four assists. What changes have you seen from Carlson over the past week or so, or at least how do you think he's grown or gotten more you know, in tune with the Penguins' style of play? So I know you said you've seen something. I would say I haven't seen too much of a change in a style or too much of a change in a uh, a feel. I would say maybe, excuse me, he's just gained some, he's just comfortable. He's more comfortable with his teammates, his line mates, his uh, spot on the top power play. Um, and the success is starting to find the team as a whole a little bit more. Because uh, like I said, Eric Carlson's always been shooting the puck uh, from since game one. Then he was rifling it that game. Um, and into the following 10, he's just been uh, taking advantage of his chances, getting shots on net. But I think things are just starting to click a little more uh, for the team as a whole, which is starting to stack up his assists, starting to stack up his power play points, which are huge because that power play is what everyone wanted to see wake up a little bit. Um, I would just say it's a comfort level when it comes to what has changed or what has you know, been a reason for this dawning of a... Uh, new stretch of uh, production here because it 
at least from what I've seen, uh, nothing too much has changed visibly or hard, like, or like a hard, here's what's changed. Um, I'm sure you'll be able to tell me more detail and I'll kind of bounce off of it. But for now, I would just say there is a confidence level and a comfort level that has uh, definitely finally shown its face for Eric Carlson in Pittsburgh with these teammates. Yeah, I talked about this slight change. It's not like he's changed anything overall or overarching about his game. He is Eric Carlson through and through exactly what we expected when the Penguins acquired him back in August. But I talked about this a little bit with Hunter Hodes on Locked On Penguins yesterday, that there's a slight little trait that I'm seeing him. I don't know if he did that in San Jose. I don't really recall him doing it in Ottawa, but I haven't watched a lot of Eric Carlson over the past couple of seasons just simply because of where he was playing. But he has this like inner Randy Orton that he's starting to channel right now, that out of nowhere just pivot and attack the puck carrier, especially on the rush, that he is just completely lying in wait, and then the second that puck carrier crosses the blue line, he is just darting straight for them, and and it's something that he can perform and he can do and not a lot of other defensemen can do because of how quickly he can change trajectory and change where he's going and change, you know, the speed at which he is skating. He's one of the fastest skaters the Pittsburgh Penguins have and his ability to do that quick, just one, two step. And he's right there on the player, forcing that player to make a decision. That's something I've started to see. I saw it on Tuesday. I saw it a lot against San Jose, but of course San Jose is what it is, but you've started to see that more and more often. And I think part of that is that yes, He's getting more comfortable with Marcus Pedersen. He knows that if he does miss and if the player that he's trying to put in a predicament makes a good decision, he knows he at least has Marcus Pedersen behind him to make a play and make up for that. But I think more often than not, the last couple of games, it's actually succeeded. He shut down the rush when he's done that, and he hasn't done it every single time, and he shouldn't do it every single time because that's how you get in trouble because people will then make it predictable. But the times that he's done it, it's been effective, and it's something that I didn't know was part of his game coming into this season even though we knew he was he was fast, even though that when you asked everybody about his defensive game before the season, they said, oh, he has a good stick in the defensive zone. It's that specific movement and motion that I've noticed in the last couple of games that has really started to impress me, and it's something that I feel like is happening more often as time goes on. Yeah, because I asked that question of Mike Sullivan as well, and he mentioned the idea that they're trying to get that sort of specific style of play, that sort of defensive mindset mm-hmm. into him a little more. They want to see more uh, more of that from him. Uh, because they want him to be able to play both sides of the puck to at least a usable degree. They don't want the... Yeah. I mean, not that they don't want the 101-point Eric Carlson. They would. They absolutely do. But they want the yeah. Eric Carlson that um, that uh, San Jose saw offensively, but then they want to see a Pittsburgh defenseman in him as well. You know, it's not that he wasn't a great defenseman in Ottawa. I just I think we all kind of realize those years are a little bit further in the past, so it's kind of harder to re bring those back they want to see a defenseman that can have that san jose production on offense but a new formed pittsburgh uh production on defense it's kind of interesting Mm -hmm. especially in a mike sullivan system where just about everyone on the ice is expected to play both ends of the rink um and mike sullivan said like they're trying to really get that out of him they're trying to get a good defensive style of game uh from eric carlson they want him to utilize that stick that he has. Everyone, like you said, everyone says he's got a good stick and he's got a good speed. Um, Eric Carlson and the coaching, right, Mike Sullivan and the coaching staff are trying to um, highlight that and give that an extra level and an extra layer to his game because those points will come. You know, we mm-hmm. it, we knew it was going to take him, or not that we knew it was going to take a minute, but once we saw it taking a minute, we knew it was going to arrive. 
And now here we are with five points in the last three games. A couple of power play points is key. And yeah, the San Jose game is in there, but that's still important. That's still an important uh, wake-up call for certain areas of the team. And the offense is going to arrive. It's just a matter of getting that defense into a good structure. Yeah, and you look at his underlying numbers, they've improved dramatically dramatically in the last three games as well. Carlson, on the season as a total, he has 56% of the shot attempts at 5-on-5, 58% of the expected goals, and 62% of the high-danger chances. But in the last three games, he has 58% of the shot attempts, 77% of the expected goals, and 76% of the high-danger chances for. And the Penguins... Not to be outdone, and I know a lot of people don't like the underlying stats. If you want some real stats, here's some real stats for you. In those last three games, the Penguins have outscored their opponents 7 to nothing when Eric Carlson is on the ice at 5-on-5, five five, and you do not get much better than that instance right there. And understandably, like you mentioned, the, the San Jose Sharks game is in there, but at the same time, they're one of 32 that you have to beat in this league, Horowat, and everybody gets to play them. Some teams more than others, but everybody gets to play them at least twice. And for what it's worth, it's not like the San Jose Sharks are going to go 0 81 and one They got their win. They're not. It happened against Philly, which is hilarious. They are still an NHL team, if you will. There are NHL names on that roster. I mean, we, we had Mikhail Granlin last year. Mm-hmm. You know, we didn't. Penguins drafted Kalen Addison. Oh, my. And that is what happened to him. That's a conversation for a different day. But I need to talk to Hoppy. I need him to get on the horn with Billy Guerin. Because why? Why did you do that to poor Kalen Addison? Did something happen? Like, is he not good No, anymore? he just wasn't getting utilized. Okay. I, I I don't know. I, but we, that's, like he's going to get again. utilized in San Jose. Anyway, no. It, it, yeah, the, the Penguins are outscoring their opponents. And they are... If you look at some of the underlying numbers, some of those analytics, they're one of the best analytical teams in the league right now. Certain area, are. Like, uh, certain lines are really good in those expected goals numbers. I think overall as a team on five on five, they're number one still. Um, and in all uh, in all of the metrics, all of these situations, in all situations, they are number two, barely, behind the Colorado Avalanche. They're one of the best analytic teams in the league right now. So whenever they say that they feel like they've, um, outperformed their opponents to a pretty good degree, and they are playing better than their record suggests. The analytics are backing that up too. But again, mm-hmm. it's those hard numbers that have been pulling them back a little. It is that finishing ability that held them back a little, but they're starting to find it. They needed yep. 10 goals against San Jose to prove, hey, we can finish. We just did it 10 times. They needed one of those close games in Anaheim too, right? Yes. To kind of say, we can win the big games, the, you know, the blowout games. And we can hold on in against An- it's Anaheim, so you know mm-hmm. you're taking it with a little bit of a well. No, Anaheim's a good team this year. I'm not taking anything away from that victory on Tuesday. Okay, yeah, I mean I wasn't either. I'm saying like, it's one of those t- games you need to. All right, we can also win those close games, the one to yeah. nothings into an empty net where John Gibson was standing on his head and playing very well, where you lost your starting goalie, and we'll get into that. It's uh, one of those games they needed. The Penguins are waking up; they're finding their rhythm. If they can sweep this road trip, huge. That's huge for momentum to come home to. And we'll see where it carries them from there. And, I mean, mm-hmm. I know we said that they haven't had a great history in California. It was debunked almost immediately by us. Um, <laughs> but yeah. this one feels a lot better than, you know, past road trips out to California. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, you look at the last two seasons, the Penguins were 4-2 and two in California. And, you know, obviously they'd like to get the win tonight, but if not, that follows along the same lines as winning percentage. 2-1 and one would be a successful road trip, but of course, like you mentioned, especially with the teams coming up on the schedule back east for the Penguins, you would like to get 3-0 and oh and get back to 6-6 six and six on the season and have that as a, as a reset with that successful road trip in tow to, to carry on the remainder of the month of November leading into Thanksgiving. And, and like you mentioned, you know, where you're at at Thanksgiving does tell a pretty, pretty big story about who's going to be in the race come March, you know, and, and early April, because you can't start slow through the first month and a half and expect to be able to come back. It takes a very, very good next four months if you start slow in the first month and a half and you know where teams are in Thanksgiving I think you said it was within or, or Elliot Freeman always says as long as you're within six points of a playoff spot um, you're in a decent position if you're outside of that then there's really like a 90% chance you miss the playoffs so the Pittsburgh Penguins still have some work to do here before American Thanksgiving coming up here in about a week and a half two weeks but one last thing about Carlson that I wanted to mention just one last little statistic that I think is uh interesting when you look at them in the grand scheme of things as far as not just the Penguins but the entire NHL is him and Pedersen together have a 63.5 percent of the shot attempts at five on five that's good for 13th in the NHL among all defense pairings it's exactly what you want from that that pairing there because Pedersen brings that defense. We've seen Carlson at times be able to be a little bit better than the 1% that's on his hockey card from Jay Fresh. Um, but, you know, to see them get those shot attempts, that's how they're going to, to be at their best. Pedersen can cover up for any deficiencies that Carlson has, and he's shown that through the first 11 games. But where they're going to find success, and we've seen Pedersen do it a little bit more this season than in most, is getting on that offensive end, getting shots to the net, and creating offense and keeping the puck on that end of the ice. And they've done a really good job of that this season. They have. And I've, I've already noticed Pedersen take more advantages and take more steps up mm-hmm. in the offensive zone. Um, yeah, and that line producing the way it is, I think we, the second Eric Carlson was acquired by the Penguins, we all looked at it as he's going to slot right in with, <clears throat> excuse me, with Marcus Pedersen. Just the easy choice. Mm-hmm. They're both Swedish. It's. <laughs> It's the uh, second-line role behind Chris Letang that Eric Carlson was probably coming into knowing until mm-hmm. maybe... I mean, Eric Carlson's got a couple of years on him, so maybe down the line a little bit there is a switch in that situation, and you know maybe just Eric Carlson <clears throat> is ready to take that step up, or Letang's... Sorry, more or less, Letang's ready to take that step back, and they do that switch. Yeah. That's a couple years down the line in a conversation I was about to right say, now. it is, because right now... Chris Letang is off to one of his best starts of a season than he has had in maybe 10 years. And that's on both ends of the ice. Yeah. That's Specifically the, on the defensive end yeah. of the ice. It's not like I'm not even talking about the offense. The offense has been there. But the defensive end of the ice, Chris Letang has been a force. I talked yeah. about it Monday. Days are blending together at this point, Horwell. But I talked about it this past week. You can find it on the feed. It's a little easier than for mm-hmm. me to try to find it in my memory. But, you know, I- impressive for Carlson. He's starting to heat up. Good start for Latang. All things going well, it seems, in the past week and a half, two weeks for the Pittsburgh Penguins on the blue line. But we're going to take a quick break. When we return, Tristan Jari is injured, and I know a lot of you are saying, oh, again? But we'll talk about why they might not be out of the woods with a day-to-day marker from Mike Sullivan yesterday at practice. We'll be right back.
welcome back to the Tip of the Iceberg podcast, brought to you as always by InsideThePenguins.com. Yesterday, we got a little bit of an update on Tristan Jari. Fortunately, he is not, as of now, considered anything more than day-to-day, according to Mike Sullivan. He left late in the second period against Anaheim. It did not look good following a collision with the Ducks' Adam Henrique. And I saw a couple people say it on the replay. The puck to the face is what came after that. That's not good. That's what drew blood. That's what caused him to have stitches, according to Taylor Haas of DK Pittsburgh Sports. But it's the hit from Adam Henrique straight to his head where his head snapped back that could become a little problematic because, as you know, as I know pretty Intimately, concussions are very hard to uh, predict. So it's not determined whether or not he has a concussion yet. At least it's not public whether or not he has a concussion yet. But when you see contact to the head like that, that obviously becomes a concern. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. It's the way his head and neck snapped, you know, in that, I don't want to say in a violent way, just the way it kind of moved around, it was not ideal. And you get, especially when you get clips like that, knocks your, jars your mask off, it kind of, you can tell there's something there, um, and then getting you know getting hit with the puck right immediately after, um, yeah, quite the situation. And I don't know how else to put it other than, it, yeah, we know Jari has dealt with injuries before. Something about this one, it, you you feel like this one isn't on him, right? I mean, no injuries on a player, but there's yeah. like it feels like there was something about this one that's there's it's almost like there's nothing you can do about it. Like no one's upset that. No. No one is upset at oh, him that he's hurt. Whereas, like last year, oh, the, why is he hurt? There are know? people that are upset at him for being hurt, but those people are stupid. Yeah, sorry, you're, you're stupid. See, the guy got smashed in the head, and then a puck that was not short, like it was not like a fluttering little muffin that went in there, a, a hard shot straight to the face. Yeah, if he gets concussed, that makes sense. That's how the human brain works. Anybody gets concussed. It's not because he's injury prone. Yeah, it's. Yeah, it's not. This isn't an injury-prone sort of injury. Um, there's not not much we can that he could do about it. Uh, just mm-hmm. trying to make his play, trying to make his save. For what it's worth, he did. You know. Yeah. Um. So and the the fact he was able to get up immediately, skate off on his own. Good start. Um. The fact that it's still considered day to day right now. The Penguins hit the ice for their morning skate at two thirty. So, at Eastern time, I should say. They're out west, so 2.30 yeah. p.m. Shortly before then, if there are any goalie recalls, we'll probably know more of an answer. I forget how the CBA works and when and who they can call up, but there are in-house options. There are yeah in-house options, especially if it's a short-term thing. We got, we got people. <clears throat> yeah, if... Jari is ruled to not be able to even be a backup. They can make that emergency call up. And as of right now, that would be one of Garrett Sparks or Joel Blomqvist, which we can talk about um, in a little bit here. But when it comes to Jari's injury, like you mentioned, it was nice to hear that he was day to day. He didn't practice yesterday at Crypto.com Arena in Los Angeles. I don't think I'm going to be really comfortable until you hear Mike Sullivan say there he's day to day without continuing to be evaluated. Cause what that makes me think of is Jeff Petrie last year where 
He gets that hit. It looks awful on the ice when his wrist get bent, got bent backwards. I believe it was against Buffalo. You were in the locker room. You said, hey, you looked down at his wrist. Didn't look like anything was wrong. The next morning, it, it swelled up like a pumpkin, and he was out for a month and a half. Makes me think of Ben Lovejoy back in the road to the Winter Classic in 2011, where he's on the plane. Crosby says, what's wrong with your face? And then Ben Lovejoy has a massive, big, just bubble on his face because of the altitude. Now it's that's because the altitude, not because the actual puck to the face. But it's something that I don't know if the swelling's down. I haven't seen Tristan Jari. So until you hear that, hey, he is just day-to-day without, yeah, we're still evaluating what's going on here. That's why I think that they're not out of the woods yet on a potential Tristan Jari injury. If he's still swollen, you cannot tell the extent of the injuries, especially to the puck to the face, if there's any fracture, if there's any injury there, especially because it's right where his helmet sits. When you put your helmet down, it's right where the helmet's going to sit, right above his eye. So there's a chance that this could still deteriorate, and I know people don't want to hear that, but I'm not comfortable saying that, you know, hey, they dodged a bullet until you start to see a little bit more from the medical staff and you start to see him at least getting back out there on the ice because as of right now, day-to-day is nice. It was was relieving to hear that from Mike Sullivan, but hearing that he's still getting evaluated is something that, especially with the the nature of that injury, a head injury, when he got blunt force trauma, which is like a a boxer, like a UFC fighter, where there's going to be swelling, you're going to have to wait it out a little bit. That's what I think is a little concerning still and why I think that Penguins fans should not, you know, completely exhale, although it is nice to hear that he he is considered day-to-day at the moment. Yeah, and it's not like it was an immediate, well, here's what's going on. That that should be another... uh step in the right direction because certain head injuries yeah. it, it, we just saw it with John Ludwig it was a pretty immediate uh yeah we're gonna he's in concussion protocol he's out he's out. He, yeah. not taking him off the roster but he's this that the other it was pretty immediate there are certain injuries where you look at and you get that immediate response um and this one they were said we're still evaluating we're still evaluating it's been a couple of days and we're still not fully sure that is at least sort of a step in the right direction not the fully sure thing but it is not an immediate, here's what it is. We knew this from the get-go. It's more mm-hmm. of a, we're seeing, I, it, it could be that we're seeing if he's going to be good to go on straight up. We're just waiting for game day to see if he's good. You know, that's yeah. that's another piece of, well, that doesn't mean, that probably means a concussion might not be in play. Because that, I feel like, would get handled pretty quickly. But again, I don't know. You do. Um, that's, you know what I mean? Though? It's like, it's that's something that would be handled right away considering a concussion spotter yeah. sits at every game um <clears throat> there's always that piece as well it's those are looked at and found out pretty quickly yeah there's there's testing over time because like i said they can be unpredictable mm-hmm. it can get worse before it gets better um it can go from what not being bad on the ice to being a little bit worse you know brain dam brain damage brain trauma um i guess it's technically you know considered brain damage but brain trauma is uh, something that i don't fully understand because i'm not a doctor and uh something that in my brief experiences with it is not something that is easy to understand at all but um for jari you know outside of the injury it looked like he was catching his footing before that contact and that injury late in the second period. He had stopped 45 of 47 shots in that game and the game prior, and he's well on his way to a shutout against the Anaheim Ducks, which would have been his third of the season. So that was really the first time we've seen him, you know, in back-to-back games, look sturdy, look good in the crease. So hopefully he's able to come back and, and build off of that and continue to, you know, revive his numbers from his slow start. <clears throat> yeah, it's... Um... He's looked good. He's looked like he's really picked up his game. It just took a minute to find the rhythm. Um, and he was credited with a f- another full shutout, was he not? 
I know they both combined. He was credited with the win. Definitely with the um, win. And I believe he probably got credit. I don't know if you credit him with a shutout because I mean he didn't give up. He didn't give up a goal, and he was credited with the win. I would assume that that gives him the shutout. But I'll look that up. Real quick. Credited with the win, not the shutout. Still has two on the year, but a four-five and zero record um, through, okay. through nine starts. I mean, <clears throat> Helberg still no uh, wins or losses on the record. Uh, but I mean, also was, was he really expected to? He's the third string. <laughs> But yeah. uh, with decent enough looking numbers, and it comes to 56 minutes of ice time, a point nine two nine save percentage. Yeah, 26 saves on 28 shots that he's faced, including you know 11 that happened on Tuesday, and he looked really steady. And and I, I said this again yesterday, but like, is it because he's six six that he doesn't have to move all that much? That he looks so sturdy, he looks no so composed in the net because he doesn't really need to to move all that much to take up that much space in the net. Um. That's really interesting, too, because someone had asked, <clears throat> asked Sullivan about that a few uh, little bit ago about if, you know, the, his size has any sort of advantage. I, I think the answer was not necessarily. I mean, obviously, the more body mass you have, the more net you cover. Um, yeah. But it doesn't necessarily mean <clears throat> that they are, you know, just because they're bigger doesn't automatically make yeah. them a great goalie. They still have to play the position. So I think the yeah, answer it's not was not lacrosse. Yeah, I think the answer was kind of like <laughs> yes and no, but mm-hmm. um, yeah, he's got big body mass to cover a lot of the net, and yeah, it's he's looked good. He's looked coming in cold both times, no less. That's sort of a big, um, mm-hmm. at least in a goalie's mindset, they always say you never want to come in cold. You want to you know be prepared, uh, but coming in cold, especially against Anaheim, like I said, in that close game where it was only one to nothing, shut the door, got the empty net goal. Mm-hmm and was able to stop all 11, that's huge. Yeah. Yeah, and Helberg, after the game, gave credit to the Penguins' defense, and as he should have, the Penguins' defense you know, played really well on Tuesday night. They were able to open up lanes, make sure there was not a lot of traffic in front of Helberg whenever he went in cold. And, you know, if you're going to go in cold, you want it to be, you know, it's weird to say, but if you're going to go in a situation like that, you'd prefer it to be, like, maybe early in the first, midway through the first, because – warm-ups was not as long ago but late in the second period that makes it you know something that's very the more the later it goes in the night the more difficult it is to come in and and be in relief I mean we we saw that in the playoffs a couple of years ago with Louis Domingue in what in overtime where he had to come in so it's a it's a situation where you're hoping that you know Helberg doesn't have to be leaned upon for the next five games because that's when Alex Nedeljkovic will be able to come off of LTIR is after the next five games but you know, if they do, he does have some experience. He played a little bit more in the NHL last year than he has throughout his career. 7-8-1 record over his entire career with a 309 goals against average and an 888 save percentage. So uh, we'll see if he can, you know, obviously continue his performance that we've seen in the two relief appearances here. But if he is the guy, I would assume he's the guy tonight. I would assume he gets the start regardless of if Tristan Jari is is healthy enough to dress, I would assume that the precautionary reasons they would make sure Helberg is in net against the Kings. I would, yeah, I would assume that too. Uh, That's sort of a, I mean, yeah, you want to have your, you know, the the team on the ice that gives you the best opportunity to win. That's one of those other Sullivanisms that we were discussing before the show here. Um, Sure, you're going to want that, but sometimes, especially in the goalie position, you do have to take precaution measures. And you've already succeeded in not necessarily already succeeded on the road trip but you've already sealed a winning record on the road trip which is a good start to building back toward the rest of the season um Mm -hmm. but i think if 
you need one game to have a precaution, absolutely go with Helberg. And even if you need to make a recall for a backup position because Jari can't even step into that role, like I said before, we have the options. But I think mm-hmm. this is absolutely a game where <clears throat> you'll see Helberg get his first start in a Penguins uniform. We'll see how things go from there. And even if it is just the one game as a precaution, I think we are all expecting that he should fare just fine. Um, mm-hmm. Like I said on this show a couple of times, uh, Helberg and Adelkovich uh, shared a Detroit Red Wings locker room last year for a handful of games each. Both of them also shared a lot of time in the AHL. Helberg ended up playing more games in the NHL last year <clears throat> than Adelkovich did. So mm-hmm. there's a bit of an experience curve there that Helberg has. Um, he'll be ready to go. All goalies are always ready for this. Mm-hmm. And as you mentioned, that if they have to make an emergency recall, it's likely one of Garrett Sparks, who's on an AHL contract right now with the Wilkes-Barre Scranton Penguins. Or it could be one of the top prospects for the Penguins between the pipes and Joel Blomqvist. You look at his record, I'm just saying, I don't say that, you know, I'm not saying you should call him up and immediately start him, but maybe get him a, a little bit of time at the NHL level. Let him, you know, do a little bit of traveling with the NHL team, because in seven games so far this season, Joel Blomqvist has a 1.91 goals against average and a 920 save percentage. And this is, again, his first full season on North American ice. So solid start there for the Penguins. I would say top goaltending prospect. I know Sergei Muraschev has been pretty impressive over in Russia. But, you know, Blomqvist, the fact that he's at the AHL for the first time this season for a full season and he's playing as well as he is. Yeah, give him a shot to come up to the NHL squad, see how the NHL works for for a couple of games, and even if he doesn't get in the in the in the game, doesn't get any action, it's good for a young player like that to get some experience. So if you need to do one, you know, and it's only going to be a couple of games, maybe a week, maybe you call him up, or maybe if you call Sparks up, you just let Blunkfist be the number one starter and just start him the entire time down in Wilkes-Barre. That could be good for him as well, development wise, being a workhorse for a little bit. Yeah, there's. There's all kind of benefits to whoever gets called up, and because Kyle Dubas really revamped this goaltending gore, there's all kind of you know options and all kind of different directions they could go with this. And in everything that we've seen from Blomquist in a uh, in a Penguins uniform from the prospect challenge against his peers looked really good there. In his couple of preseason appearances looked pretty good there against. Not peers, but also not full NHL talent, but still, mm-hmm. you know, upper uh, upper echelon players. Looks pretty solid. He looks like he's able to really handle this, uh, handle, a, handle a load no matter what it may be for the AHL. If he's getting, mm-hmm. you know, a few more starts. If he's coming to the NHL and taking a backup role and maybe spotting in. He looks like he should be able to handle whatever it may be, and this is really good for his development, especially him specifically. Taylor Gautier, I guess they're also pretty high on. We'll see where things go from there, but um, regardless, and, if, and then if it's Garrett Sparks up here, I mean, a guy with NHL experience, you can't go wrong there. So, thankfully, this is a problem that, let's say, Tristan Jari has to go out longer term. They only have to handle for about two weeks, yeah. a little under. Um until Nadalkovich comes back, and he's been, and Alex Nadalkovich has been playing pretty well before his injury. So there's mm-hmm. not too much of a panic situation here with this. You do want your mm-hmm. starting goalie to be healthy, especially that you just re-signed him, and the fact that, again, this injury is not on him, but the, the, one of the risks when signing Jari was his, his proneness to injuries, um, and it rears its ugly head pretty early. It's not ideal, mm-hmm. so... 
you're hoping for the best, but if he, if he needs to go down, we have the options. The Penguins have the options. The Penguins have also a quick turnaround for someone who could step in as a starter. Yeah, best case scenario, we see Tristan Jari on the bench with a baseball cap tonight. I think that's that's what you're hoping for. And if that happens, then you know the last five minutes of this podcast can be registered as a moot point. But yeah. uh, I I do want to definitely I did want to definitely highlight Joe Blomquist, and that's something that definitely want to keep an eye on. You know, a hot start for him in his first full season in, in North American Ice, and I think it's going to be uh he, he's he's definitely the future of the Pittsburgh Penguins goaltending you know, position because of how exciting he has been since he was drafted and how good he has been since he has been drafted. Playing a lot of professional hockey over in Europe. Now he's doing some over in North America. But we're going to take a quick break. When we return, P.O. Joseph was scratched once again on Tuesday. I found it very curious uh, that Sullivan went with him for one game and then sat him again. And I want to discuss that a little bit with you, Horwat, before we say goodbye for the weekend. But we'll talk about that after this break. Welcome back to the Tip of the Iceberg podcast, brought to you as always by InsideThePenguins.com. Pierre-Olivier Joseph, very high on him, was the Pittsburgh Penguins organization heading into the season. Everybody said that he had a really good training camp, including Mike Sullivan, who said, quote, he was light years ahead of where he was coming into camp last season. We all expected, okay, that means that he's locked down the number five spot on the Penguins you know, hierarchy of defensemen. Obviously, the Penguins have their top four that are going to be their top four for the next couple of seasons and Graves and Latang and Pedersen and Carlson. And we've talked about most of them on this episode. But then we all said, okay, then P.O. Joseph right down the line at number five. Well, at this point of the season, it does not look like he has that solidified. And in fact, it looks like somebody else has taken over that spot from him. Joseph was back in the lineup on Saturday against San Jose after sitting since October 18th in a game in Detroit where he had probably the worst night of his professional career on the ice for four goals against against the Detroit Red Wings. And he was sat down and did not play again until a game in San Jose where on the surface, especially if you didn't watch the game, you just look and you say 10 to 2, no notes, move on to the next one. But the notes were... P.O. Joseph did not look good in that game. In a game where the Penguins dominated almost completely from start to finish, Joseph had 50% of the shot attempts. He had 41% of the expected goals, and the Penguins were outshot 9-7 when he was on the ice. That led to him being scratched on Tuesday in favor of Chad Ruedel, a decision that you know, I'll talk about, I think is a little curious by Mike Sullivan, but certainly a decision that's telling as to where the organization feels P.O. Joseph is at right now. Certainly, it's quite it's quite interesting because, you know, last year, I mean, he was obviously off to that great start where he, he was playing every game. <clears throat> you certainly weren't going to take him out of the lineup. This time around, even with this uh, interesting, I mean, this this third pairing has been so interesting since the start of training camp. You got guys playing on their off wings. You got plenty of options that they've filtered through. Um I mean, the amount of different names that since training camp opened that have been brought up as possibilities that can take that spot over, um, it's far more than zero. And, <laughs> yeah. and, you know, and now P.O. Joseph finds himself right in this weird spot of, well, this isn't guaranteed anymore. It's mm-hmm. It can go to a Ryan Shea. It can go to a John Ludwig, who, by the way, we didn't even mention, is skating again uh, back here yep. in Pittsburgh. So maybe he finds his way back in whenever they... I mean, he could play as soon as Saturday. Who knows? Um, 
there's that option there. Ch- Chad Ruedel, for as good or bad, good or as bad as he's been, um, mm-hmm. is still an option and is still a veteran defender that can file in there. Uh, mm-hmm. For a while, Mark Pissick was in there in that conversation. <clears throat> now he's on an AHLPTO, and things need to be worked out there for him to come up. But still in the organization, and still a pretty viable option if he returns to health. Um, and so many other names that again, this dogfight is back again. This is yeah. no longer just a oh, here are the obvious names and we move along. No, it, once again, this surplus, this defensive surplus dogfight is back again. And honestly, this at least this one, it feels a little better, feels a little fresher. I think it feels better yeah. because the top four in front of them are a lot better now. It's not, mm-hmm. um, and plus Jan Rood is not, you know, holding down a spot and no one can take it because of the price tag. It is, well, we can filter both of the spots. Anyone can go anywhere. We've seen guys play on their off wings. Anyone can literally play on either side of that of that ice. So, P.O. Joseph finds himself in a weird spot. And he's not he's not reaching the level that everyone knows he can hit. Um, mm-hmm. It's not ideal. And the Penguins have options and have proven already that they're quick to uh, make those changes. Yeah. And here's the thing. that When the lineup comes out for tonight, that is exactly where my eyes are going to go. Mm-hmm. I'm going to look exactly at the third pairing. Why? Because it's not like Ruedel and Shea looked good in, against Anaheim. They've looked good at times this past or this season, and I think Shea has kind of distinguished himself as the best of those four as of right now. We haven't seen much from Ludwig, so it's really hard to judge what he would look like. He's only played five minutes in his entire lifetime at the NHL level. But I think Shea has established himself as that number five defenseman, similar to how P.O. Joseph established himself in the first two weeks of training camp. It's, yeah, we, we came into camp saying, hey, he could lose that job. You never know because of how many names they brought in. They might be curious to see if somebody can outperform him. Two weeks in, nobody was outperforming him, and he was playing so well, getting all this praise from the coaching staff. And we just penciled him in because we said that's 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 what he he did. He went out and he earned it. As of right now, it seems like that's where Ryan Shea is at for the Pittsburgh Penguins. And similar to how Joseph lost that role, Shea could still lose that role. But as of right now, he should feel pretty confident and pretty secure in that spot. But like I mentioned, it's not like the pairing performed well on Tuesday. So do they switch it back and go back to P.O. Joseph and Ryan Shea? Do they give Ryan Shea a day off, which I think would be a gross miscalculation. I think he's played really well since coming into the lineup. But I mean, Ruedel and Shea last game, 40% of the shot attempts, 15% of the expected goals for. If you're under 30%, that is an alarming performance from from your third pairing. But again, they didn't play very much. So a couple bad shifts really changes that. But, you know, that, that's what you're paying them to do. That's what you're asking them to do is go out there and have a positive impact on the game in a short amount of time. It's not an easy thing to do. You know, one mistake can, can tank your numbers like that. But I thought that that pairing looked a little less you know, confident and a little bit less sturdy um, than they have throughout the remainder of the season, you know, what we've seen from those two so far. Yeah, it's just still part of getting used to each other, too. It's still the early parts of the season, and they've they've filtered through a bunch of names already, too. Yeah. There's all kinds of moving and shaking happening at that bottom line. I know I suggested the idea of a, of a rotation before, but, I mean, that's a long shot of happening again for any NHL team so while that option is there and I that kind of looks like what they're doing but again it's too short of a sample size to really stamp stamp that one in I don't think they want to do that though they want to have their solid guys that are in there 
and then their definite seventh man option, and their definite maybe eighth, depending on how they have to carry the roster. Um, but it's <clears throat> like I said, it's it's working things around until they see what fits, and thankfully it's yeah. happening on the third and not the first line here. That's well, at least yes. one of the bonuses here. It's that we're filtering things in and out for the defensive the defensive pairing that plays the least amount of time. Mm-hmm. Sometimes these guys, sometimes Chad Ruedel has like one of the lowest um, <clears throat> ice times in a game. It's really mm-hmm. interesting. So quite honestly, it's good that it's happening in the third line here and that you you don't look at an option and go, ooh, no, not that one. Because you've at least seen bo- benefits and bonuses from mm-hmm. all these names at one point or another. You know, yeah. Ryan Shea's really stepped up his game and his first handful in the NHL. Um, Chad Ruedel is, like I said, he's older and he's more of a veteran, but you at least know he's that dependable Chad Ruedel still. Pio Joseph, it's you, you throw him in and it's just, oh, just if he can quickly find what he had last year, we're good to go. Just clean this one up. And I think that's the issue that I had with, with having him play one game against San Jose then taking him back out of the lineup is how much of an opportunity did you really give him to get his footing back? Yeah. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. he's been practicing. Yeah, he's been skating with the team. Yeah, he's been skating and, and morning skates and all that. But he hadn't played in a game in two and a half weeks. And you took him out after one bad performance. It's not like he, he performed extremely poorly throughout the first week and a half of the season. He wasn't above and beyond what you expected from him. He wasn't as good as he was in the preseason. But he wasn't bad enough to where one bad game should have... I mean, yes, you, you did that. You put Shea in and Shea took that opportunity and ran with it. I understand that. But to get to the point where you're moving Shea to the right side and you're putting Joseph back in to see what he's able to do, he has one bad game and a 10-2 to victory, and then you take him back out of the lineup. It, to me... That's just saying that you want everybody to be Chad Ruedel. You want everybody to be able to go up there and sit in the press box for two weeks, come in and and look exactly like they should have if they had been playing all this time. I feel like they didn't give him enough of an opportunity to really get his feet back underneath him, especially because that was the first time he'd ever played with Ryan Shea in a game. Ever. In a game. Yeah. That's a fair point, Especially A regular season game, I should say. But, you know, there's a little bit of a learning curve to go there as well. You gave him... What I don't have the numbers in front of me. You probably gave him what nine, ten minutes of ice time, and then you were like, "I think that's enough." Was he impressive? No. Did he struggle a little bit? Yes. But to take him out immediately after that in a game against the Ducks for a guy like Chad Ruedel, who yes has performed fairly decently this year, but I don't think is more you know above and beyond jo- P.O. Joseph when it comes to skill level and talent and, and ceiling. I think that was a little curious to me, and I just don't understand why he the plug was pulled so quickly on trying to get P.O. Joseph back into the game. Really interesting you mentioned the ice time <clears throat> about for, for P.O. Joseph, right? I heard that correctly. You're talking about how many minutes he played yeah. in San Jose? Yeah. He played 18. 18? He had 19 why? shifts. I guess, what, I guess when they were up, yeah. they must have had him. Yeah. I mean, he played I, 19 wow. shifts, I didn't which ex- is. I didn't remember that. Yeah, That's no, for sure. me neither. Uh, just really interesting. I mean, Ryan Shea also played 16. Um, so obviously, yeah, like once you start getting up like that, you're going to, you're going to put your guys, especially the guys that play a lot of ice time, you're going to take them off a little bit. But I mean, Chris Tang also still played 23. Ryan Graves had 22. Pedersen had 19, almost 20. And Eric Carlson had just over 18. So yeah. 
Well, I think part of that is also when you get up by seven goals, you just start running the rotation. You don't double shift guys yeah. like Latang and and Carlson. Like they've done that this year. We've we've both texted each other a couple times and said, okay, Ryan Shea's played a lot of ice time with with Chris Latang. They're switching things around to make sure that Latang and Carlson keep getting on the ice, even if it's not with their standard defense partner. So in that game, I, I, that might be why you just saw that because they're like, we're up eight goals. Why do we need to? do any rotations let's just just one after the next keep the line yeah. going down down in the defense pair that's exactly what it is because if you just go to literally the game before that <clears throat> four to three loss to the anaheim ducks um eric carlson played 31 minutes by the way <laughs> it's a little exaggeration he played 30 56 but that's still a boatload of minutes you know what horwat that's an exaggeration i need you to be a little bit more accurate on this podcast those, thank you very much those four seconds hey man th- hey those four seconds May or may not have <clears throat> cost the game. Um, but Chad Ruidel and Ryan Shea in that game played 10-14 and 10-07 respectively. So, yeah, once you get into those leads, you start filtering, just going with the lines, going through the motions. Um, but still, I mean, they saw 18 minutes out of P.O. Joseph and said, plug-pulled. So, yeah, obviously, there's a little something there. Yeah, we'll have to keep an eye on that. Obviously, that's going to be one of the things that everybody's looking at tonight when the roster comes out and the lineup comes out is who's on the third pairing. I would venture to guess it's going to be Ryan Shea, but will it be Chad Ruedel or will it be P.O. Joseph? And when Ryan or when John Ludwig comes back, does it become Shea Ludwig for an extended period to try to see what those two have together? Uh, it, it's something that is going to be fluid throughout the season. Kyle Dubas warned us about it, and he is uh, he's showing it right now, him and Mike Sullivan just trying to figure out what the best option is for the Pittsburgh Penguins at the third defense pairing. But that's going to do it for this episode of the Tip of the Iceberg. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. Remember, you can find us on YouTube at Inside the Penguins or anywhere you get your podcast from. We'll see you guys next time.